Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Operation Sequel. This time, we're concluding the Onomusha series with Onomusha Dawn of Dreams. Onomusha Dawn of Dreams was released only on the PlayStation 2, and that was January of 2006 in Japan, March of 2006 in both North America and PAL regions. The director was Koichi Kimura. The producer, and I don't normally mention the producer, but this is kind of special only because of how big a deal he is now, is Yoshinori Ono. And most people will probably know him from Street Fighter, and he likes Blanca a lot. The composer was Hideyuki Fukasawa and Jamie Christofferson. Wow, it's weird to say an English name. As per usual, we're going to read our little blurb from the manual. While pursuing his demonic dream of controlling the strange, deformed Genma and deploying them to take over the land, Oda Nobunaga was defeated by an Onimusha a wielder of the power of the Oni inside the inferno that was Hanoji Temple, disappearing without a trace. With Nobunaga's demise, the Genma forces that had been rampaging throughout Japan vanished. Hideyoshi Toyotomi took control of the land, and the population believed that a time of peace and tranquility had blossomed once again. Peace is often short-lived. On June 29, 1596, a strange planet with a mysterious glow appeared in the sky, from that day on, Hideyoshi was a changed man. Natural catastrophes began occurring all over the country. While fear and anxiety grew in the hearts of the people, the Genma began to reappear. The threat continued to spread until finally it was the year 1598. As chaos slowly blanketed the land, Hideyoshi started a quest to gather sakura trees from the far reaches of Japan and transport them to the capital. At the same time, somewhere nearby, a young warrior in possession of a dark power emerged, and at that moment, the wheel of fate started turning, with myriad schemes and machinations propelling it forward even faster. Okay, so with that done, let's talk about the game. I don't have a lot of history, like I said before. I couldn't even remember if I completed it or not. Seeing the ending now, it seems familiar, so I'm going to say I probably did. So there are a lot of things that change with this game, like this... It's actually kind of surprising that it came out on the same platform as all the other ones because this is not so much a sequel as much as it feels like a reboot. And it's a reboot in terms of the story, it's a reboot in terms of the style, the mechanics, everything here feels different. Now, I want to state right up front, I don't think it's bad, just different. Let's start with the style, right? So the style leans way more into the action anime feel whereas onomusha 1 2 and 3 and even blade warriors but that's spin-off so let's leave that out for right now all three of those felt of a piece sure one felt different than two and three of course ratcheted it up but they all felt of this same let's say realistic fantasy if you kind of know what i mean it doesn't go completely outlandish this game on the other hand goes absolutely outlandish as fast as it possibly can. And when I say outlandish, I mean that very anime vibe. This feels like there should have been an accompanying anime to this. I mean, nothing feels realistic, sort of, the way the last three did, in terms of the armor, in terms of the weapons, in terms of the world itself. It just feels very anime. Now, if you've listened to me for any length of time, you realize, you know, I don't like that. 
Not to say it's bad, it's just those tropes and the way their characters act, I don't like at all. It just kind of grates on my nerves. So up front, the style of this kind of did push me away a little bit, but what kind of idiot would I be if I was like, ah, I don't like the style of this game, and then put it down? That would be really stupid. I could be robbing myself of a fun experience. So let's talk gameplay then. What changes gameplay? Well, pretty much everything. This game is a lot faster than even 3 was. So with each subsequent entry, it's been ratcheting up the speed as well as the difficulty, let's say. Now, speaking of difficulty, I did read a couple places that some people find this game is too hard. Personally, I died a lot, but that's mainly because it's just, you know, what's the point? It's just a death. Who cares? You know, I, I tend to play very reckless when it comes to action games. And, I mean, the only reason why I didn't bring up how many deaths I had in the last three games was just that I knew them all very well. So, a death was a rare occurrence as opposed to, say, something that happened all the time. And I'm not saying that this game is hard. I don't think it's hard. I think there's a lot more to keep your eye on here in terms of different enemy patterns, how they attack, just the different grouping, and even all of your stuff, right? Like, unlike previous entries, everybody has, whew, let's say about 15, 15 to 20 weapons. I'll go through the characters later, but each of those weapons can be upgraded 10 times, so it's no longer just the three levels and your max. There's 10 times you can upgrade them, and at certain points along the upgrade path, like say at level 3, level 6, and level 8, you unlock different um, charges for your magic. So whereas before you hit triangle, it took a predetermined amount of bar, but you did you know your fancy special attack, you know lightning or what have you. In this, they actually delineate where those breakpoints are in your mana bar, which I do like. That is very nice. But you can also hold it to consume more mana to do a stronger attack. And so every time you upgrade and you hit that point, it unlocks, say, Oni Magic Level 2 or Oni Magic Level 3. So that means you can just hold Triangle longer and you will go through, like, Charge 1, and then it'll hold for a second, then Charge 2, and then... You know, it's kind of how Power Attacks used to work in 3 and 2. I don't remember if 2 had the dual level Charge Attacks. Anyway, so that's how that works with the weapons. And I like having more variety in the weapons here. Uh, with just Soki, your main character. You have some that are, you know, you're incredibly slow, but they're very strong. You have some that are very quick, and they get a nice five-hit combo. And the nice thing is, is you don't even have to equip them to see. Like, generally, any sword that says five-hit combo on it will always act the same, whereas the same can be said for the ones that have four-hit combo. It actually tells you while you're selecting the weapon how long the combo is, and that's very nice. Uh, as for upgrading armor, you can upgrade armor a hundred times now, and it's a very small boost to your defense every time you level it up. But the soul requirements are very low, whereas, say, a level 6 weapon may take 1,300 souls to hit level 7. I'm actually not sure if that's accurate, but for the purpose of this, it's fine. The armor will only take 300 to get from 6 to 7, and... Again, same with the weapons. At certain points, you will unlock the ability to equip more accessories. So it's kind of worthwhile to go through and do your armor first, just because you can then equip all these accessories that may up your attack or your Oni magic or what have you. 
So other than that, and there is no upgrading of, you know, uh, your, uh, your healing items or any kind of sub thing. It's pretty much just your weapons and armor. Now, the tricky bit comes here where you have to upgrade everybody based on the same pool of souls. And it's not something you can get away with where you say, like, uh, the Magoichi thing in 2. You can't say, okay, I pick you and you're the sub-character I like. Because it will force you to play as everybody. At least, um, boss fights. It will force you to do boss fights. And you can't, it's kind of the Final Fantasy thing. You can get stuck pretty hard if you haven't been keeping everybody equal. Luckily, there is more than enough souls to go around. So all you need to do is spend some time just killing some monsters, make sure you get the souls, and you should be fine as long as you kind of evenly distribute everything with maybe a little bit of weight towards Soki because you'll be playing him a lot more than you will the sub-characters, or at least forced to play a lot more than sub-characters. Another thing that's weird here is they've gone back to enemies dropping items. It's not like 3 where you know you have a little sidekick that will come and pick things up. So you do have to keep an eye on your environment. And the only complaint I have about that is that things disappear very fast. It's not like, you know, the last three where your souls will float on screen for a little while. And if you're busy, you don't have to worry about, you know, taking the chance of sucking them in your gauntlet. Here, they disappear incredibly fast. And I don't know if that's a design decision to make things more interesting in the moment-to-moment -moment gameplay... Or if that's something that they did because they needed those things off screen. Because this game gets way more hectic than any of the other Onamushas so far. Another interesting mechanic that this does to keep things, you know, at a fast pace is you'll have just these kind of impromptu challenges. Where you'll go into a door and a little splash screen will pop up and says, defeat Oni General, your time limit, two minutes. And it'll have like a little target marker over who you're supposed to kill. But you generally try to scramble and kill them as fast as you can. Because depending on how fast you do it, you will get varying levels of rewards. And so that it keeps it from getting dull. Until I guess the challenges get dull. But I, I never found them dull. Like every time one popped up, I was like, alright, let's do this. Kind of thing. On the combat front, not a lot has changed in terms of the the overall structure of things it feels a lot like onamusha 3 just a little bit faster in terms of the enemies and a little bit faster in terms of your con like i wouldn't put this in the considered character action thing you know what this reminds me of a lot and not in terms of mechanics just in the feel of things it reminds me a lot of tokaden if you've ever played a tokaden game it kind of exudes that vibe for me but this almost belongs in a different category than the rest of the Onomusha games. Whereas they were a little bit slower and, you know, you had to take stock of the situation, what your enemies were. This wants you going constantly. Like, this is the closest it's ever come to a Devil May Cry. And to the point where, you know, you can now juggle people and you have all these different moves. You know, you hold back and attack, you'll do a certain move. But you hold forward and attack, you'll do a thrust and... It's it feels a lot more Capcom action game, which is not a bad thing at all. Just a little weird when it comes to Onomusha. Another thing that kind of got me was they switched the buttons around. They and in the last three games, the soul suck ability has always been on circle, and here they change it to X, and that's that just threw me off for a little bit. So if you're heading into this, 
do be careful, you're going to find yourself slipping a lot. Another thing they change is this game is a lot heavier on the puzzles. And I don't mean puzzles in the sliding tile puzzles. I mean puzzles as in like true environmental puzzles. Problem being they start to feel like Zelda puzzles, which means they're not really a puzzle. You're just running around doing a task. So the puzzle heavy vibe that this has didn't work for me. And if you know, even in the beginning of the game, when you're doing the orb puzzle, you know, you have to get an orb and it's got a certain number on it. Think like a Dragon Ball, right? And then you got to find the pedestal that the little fox statue is on that matches the orb. And so, yes, you could look at the map and go, okay, so I know number six is here, number five is here, number... But the enemies respawn so frequently that personally... I kind of just went, well, whatever, we're going to this room. And I didn't really take the time to stop and, you know, write a note of where each one belongs. So I don't know if that's my failing or the game failing. They want to keep this really high action pace, but they throw things in there to kind of interrupt you. Think like a Final Fantasy game, right? They show you a puzzle. It's not really a puzzle you have to stop and think about. It's more of a task, but they keep throwing random battles at you. Um, to the point where if you think of like an alleyway, a street, you have like little lots on each side. And the, I'm just explaining the beginning orb puzzle. So if you know what you're talking about, fast forward like 10 seconds. Every time you go into one of those little side lots, everything in the main corridor respawns. So even if you just duck in real quick, check it out, come back, everything's there again. And it's not a large amount of enemies. I believe it's two, four, seven. I believe it's seven enemies there. So it, it takes possibly 20 seconds to kill them all again, or you can just ignore them. But it was enough to irritate me after a while. Oh, things that don't irritate me anymore because these guys know what they're doing. Those, remember those little orb clusters that you, were in all three games and, you know, it used to be a pain in the butt to try to get to them. Now you can suck them in with your soul suck ability and keep them close to you. I really like that. that. That is a very simple, very small change that made me so happy because no longer did you have to worry about sub-weapons to hit certain enemies until they introduced the birds. But with your expanded moveset, it's not too bad. Like, every time you hit back and attack, you do this kind of lift attack to juggle them up in the air, and that hits high enough to where you can hit pretty much anything that's in the air, and it's not as much a problem as it was in the last three. Another big change to the, to the flow of the game is you can switch characters at any given time. So once you choose who your partner is, you can switch them at any time during certain chapters. This isn't always available and it's kind of a toss up when it is. Uh, you know, you can't really count on it. If say you really click with Jubei instead of Soki, you can't really count on being able to constantly pick who your partner is. But I like that, that thing because every time you switch... Well, you don't have to switch to get this, but there are also AI commands now. You can give very simple, like, stand there and recover your health, go all out, which costs some health, or just follow an attack. Very basic commands, but it's enough to keep things under control. And the nice thing is, is unlike a lot of games that have AI partners, even if you tell your partner to stand and recover, they will just block everything that comes their way, right? But enemies will still go for them. So they still act as a lure even though they're not actively doing anything. And I like that. That's a nice touch. 
One thing I don't like here, however, is the way they changed the Dark Realm. So first of all, this is the hardest Dark Realm to do. Like, you have to get genuinely good at the game in order to finish it. Not, you know, achieve a level of mastery, but you have to be pretty good at the game. Every character has a hundred floors. Now, when I first, you know, found this out, it's like, oh, hey, that's cool. You know, you can get a lot of souls from there. That's kind of a nice little thing. Problem being, you have to do it in one chunk. And that's a considerable amount of time to expect somebody to sink into it. And let's say you die. Let's hope you don't because, you know, I like you. But let's say you die and you're 60 floors down. That is a really sucky feeling. So, I like that they expanded the floors, but I don't like... That even if they would have done it at the, you can stop every 10 floors. I think that would have been an improvement. Now, the good thing about this is that you can use this to farm souls like a mother. Right? Like, you can go in, do the first six floors, blow all your magic, just do it as quick as you can, and you get to keep those souls when you leave. You have a chance to leave on every floor. So it goes kind of from being, in realistic terms, it goes from being an endurance test to kind of just this combat arena you can use to farm things. And enemies still drop items and they st still drop gold in there. So you're pretty much just doing arena challenges to get souls, gold, and items. Until you finally decide to make that very long trek. One thing that has gotten better is that somebody's knocking on the door next door sorry if you can hear that that they don't repeat boss fights as much that being said there are a hell of a lot more boss fights in this than there have been in any past games also you know while we're on it this game is the longest by far you could complete all three of the past ones and still only be like halfway through this like it is a very long game I got through it in about 21 hours, I want to say, and that was, I didn't do everything, like I didn't do a full like 100% run or anything, but I took time to do whatever I wanted to do. So, you know, I took time to talk to the companions when you're back at your base, I took time to, you know, monkey around with the Dark Realm a little bit, did a little bit of farming. So, it, you can pretty much take it that a casual playthrough, if you're familiar with the Onomusa franchise, will take you roughly around 20 hours. And I mean, that is a big jump from like, you know, the three hours for Onomusha 1 and the six hours for Onomusha 2. And I forget what it was for three, but it, it, it'd be close in terms of those three versus this in terms of time. So if you found the last ones too short, then this is something you can really sink your teeth into. And while I don't want to give too much away on the story... Not because it's fantastic or anything. There is a twist that comes right at the end that I don't want to spoil. But there's enough here to where, you know, you're not going to blast through it and be like... You know, if I tell you the story of Onomusha 1, it'll take roughly 45 seconds. You know, same with Onomusha 2 and 3. Unless you go into great detail. Here, the prologue is a nice start, the one that I read. And the beginning part of the game, you will be playing as Soki trying to destroy the cherry trees and as it turns out they're not cherry they're not cherry trees they are kind of these genma abominations and it's very cool the little you know you get like resident evil style notes of like trees aren't supposed to scream are they 
like like enough to pique your interest like oh that sounds really cool and that's pretty much the beginning i jeez i'd say one third of the game is just that very simple soki versus hideyoshi it's not really until chapter eight where you can become the onamusha and you actually fight hideyoshi that the story picks up in terms of let's say scope and i don't really want to spoil that but just very quickly let's go over the main characters so your main character, like I've said before, is going to be Soki. He's not really like Jacques, and he's not really like Samanosuke. He's very much a, a new character. So he doesn't play like... I mean, the closest he would play would be Samanosuke, but that's only because he uses a sword, right? He's not necessarily like them. Uh, next, we have Jubei. And this is not Jubei Yagyu from Onomusha 2. This is a girl from the Yagyu clan who goes by the name of Jubei. And they do some nice hinting about, you know, the Jubei that we know. But she actually plays very much like Kaede from Onomusha 1. I mean, of course, expanded movesets and stuff like that. But it's that style of very quick hit and run. Next, we have Ohatsu. And the closest thing I can compare it to is Magoichi from 2. Uh, again, very much everything involving... Very much everything... Everything very much involving the gun. Like, her entire moveset revolves around the gun. This was the sub-character that I kind of latched onto the most. Because I really like gunplay in Onomusha games. And the different variety of her weapons was kind of cool. You have, like, you know, piercing rifles. Or you have, uh, let's say, you know, assault rifles where they do quick three-hit bursts. Or you have, like, the grenade launcher kind of gun. So, her weapons felt the most varied in terms of how they change the way you play next we have tenkai no kobo and tenkai is kind of a cool character i shouldn't spoil anything involving these characters let's say he's a monk and he uses a staff as his weapon there is a surprise involving tenkai and I would like to think like 90% of the internet that cares about Onomusha would know the surprise. But just in case this show has kind of piqued your interest in the series, which I really hope it has, I won't spoil what's going on with him. At the very least, it will make you smile. And the last character is Roberto. And he's kind of a new breed too. He is nothing but fisticuffs. And it plays weird. Like, I'm not gonna lie, it felt odd. It kind of felt like you switched from Devil May Cry to, uh, let's see, what's a not crappy early 3D beat-em-up? Oh, none of them. Um, okay, so think of a good fighting force, right? Like, it, it, it changed the dynamic of the way you play. If it wasn't for Ohatsu having a gun, I would have stuck with Roberto easily, just because that is a nice dynamic switch. Now, the cool thing about these partners is each of them has a unique ability. Like, Roberto can bust down walls. Tenkai can talk to the dead. Ohatsu has a grappling hook. And Jubei can get into tiny places because she's a small girl. And as you're playing through a level, you will see spots where you're like, Huh, I can't get there. Okay, I'll have to just remember this. And at first, since, you know, I didn't remember this, it was like, why can't I get there? That's, that's not fair. You know, this is Onomusha. I don't want to backtrack all the way through Onomusha. But in the end, it turns out to not be a big deal at all. You have a... Uh, okay, let, let me explain this. Did you remember the guy that took you to the Dark Realm? That, like, weird cocoon guy? 
you have one of those in your base, except it is a very anime, very cute, very cuddly version of that, and his name is Minokichi. Whenever you want to replay a level, you talk to him. And that's a huge switch, because this is no longer just a front-to-back full adventure. This is now very much split into chapters. And so if you're playing chapter one and you see a hole in a fence that Soki can't get through, then you would come back as Jubei and you can get an item. I would say a good 70% of these that I you know, actually went and got weren't a huge deal, but there were some weapons there. There was some good accessories, some healing items. So it is worth your time if say you don't wanna do the story and it's a good way to farm for you know extra souls okay so all i think that's all of the things that this does different that really matter to somebody coming from the third game i may miss one or two things i'm sorry if i do but when it comes down to brass tacks this is my least favorite onamusha game that's not because of the gameplay that's not because of you know the way it changes things from uh, just kind of an open adventure to chapter based I'm fine with all of that. That's perfectly... I mean, there are little things about the combat I don't like, but for the most part, everything mechanics-wise works. It really all comes down to the style. Like, it's that anime over-the-topness, but still the same... You know, one out of the 13 characters that anime tropes like to do, or, you know, that thing where you yell an incredibly long sentence that nobody should ever yell at somebody as they're running away. You know, it, it's it's all those anime tropes. And yes, this is something I have to deal with when I want to play a game from Japan. Because, in my opinion, Japan makes the best games. And it's not like an aesthetic that I hate. I actually really like the anime aesthetic and art style. It's all the trappings around it that annoy me. Like, 3 was weird because it had some just odd melodramatic stuff with Jacques and Henri. Like, that was just weird and out of place. They ratchet up the melodrama so much in this. And you can just tell it's it's anime. So, the only reason why I would put this as the lowest of the four main entries is that. The story got way too ridiculous way too fast. And yes, I realize I am talking about a franchise that has demon snake people in it. And saying, this is the one that got ridiculous. But you know, you know what it is? Like, this is a perfect example. It's going from Resident Evil, you know, 2 to Resident Evil 5 or 6. Where, you know, suddenly Chris is punching boulders and swimming in lava. It's It, it took the realistic nature that it set in its universe with 1, 2, and 3. Where it was outlandish, but realistically so. And took it to the absolute 11 right out of the gate so yeah that that's the only reason i mean it's nothing more than i don't get along with these aesthetics in terms of gameplay i don't think this is as strong as three but you know i'm a crotchety old man maybe it's just because i prefer three like i can't see anything wrong here it's just all personal preference and that ending spoiler thing is kind of cool and it made me smile like a guru so in the end i would say this is a good game so let's looking back on this whole just very quick four game series it is amazing to me that a game series was born burned incredibly bright 
and then died all on the same console. I mean, granted, it is the PS2 that we're talking about. You know, it's not like we're talking about the ColecoVision or, you know, the Apple Pippin or anything like that. I mean, it was an incredibly long-lived system. And I don't know if they stopped the Onimusha series from going to the PlayStation 3 because they just did everything they wanted to do with it. Or was it because the, this last game was such a polar shift in what the previous games had done that they just kind of put the brakes on the series? I don't know. You constantly hear rumors of like, oh, they're talking about bringing it back. But I mean, that's been going on for, geez, probably 10 years now. But when I sat down and I thought about this series as a whole, if I lop off Dawn of Dreams, I think the Onimusha franchise is probably one of the strongest trilogies of games you can very clearly see how each one gets better and they learn from the past. And I think it all culminates in three. So it was a nice straight line in terms of improving. And the last one, they just kind of went, okay, that's what we did there. What if we flipped it on its head? And so I think Dawn of Dreams was more an experiment than it was, you know, meant to take what they learned from three and move forward with it. To be honest, if you take what they learned in 3 and move forward, you have Devil May Cry. You have Devil May Cry 4, and you have, well, not DMC because that's Team Ninja. But it was weird how these two paths started off very different and then merged kind of into that Capcom character action blender. Don't mistake me, that is an incredibly cool blender. And I love Capcom character action games. Like, I love Devil May Cry. But there was something about this that made me click more than I did with DMC. And this is where I finally started to realize, and it's a shame that it's this long into this series, I meant the, the podcast, not this game series, that I would make a terrible game critic. Like, hands down, just awful. Because while I'm sitting there playing Dawn of Dreams and things are starting to annoy me, uh, like I said, the aesthetic stuff, I was still finding myself having fun with it. And I, it made me realize I don't have very many games that I don't have fun with. Like, if you plop something down in front of me, I'm going to find a way to have fun with it. And that's kind of what makes me a terrible game reviewer. Because even if you take something that is objectively bad, generally I'll come back with a, yeah, so this is bad and this is bad, but you know what? You can have some fun with it if you just get used to it. So... I think from here on out, I'm going to stop trying to say whether something is objectively good or bad, because I am a terrible judge of that. Just absolutely awful. And uh, moving forward, I kind of want to try to do a, this is my personal experience with this. I liked this. I didn't like this. Ooh, what they did was interesting here, as opposed to a, this is good, this is bad. Because so far on the Zelda, let's say playthrough, I ran into a lot of games I didn't like. But it was very hard for me to come down on the side of, I think it's bad. Because I genuinely don't. With Final Fantasy, it's been a little bit easier because there are some duds there, right? But even then, if you know, you're stuck in a house and somebody says, here, play Mystic Quest, I'll find a way to have fun with it at some point, you know? I mean, it's, that's just the kind of personality I am. So I'm sorry if you've been listening to this in a, is this game good or is this game bad? capacity i think i've let you down terribly but i'm sorry that i didn't i can't do that i can't delineate like that so moving forward we're not really going to change the format or anything it's just going to be maybe a little bit of a twist 
on what the content is. And what brought this on actually was the next series I'd really like to do is Splatterhouse. And you have 70% of people saying that is just a bad franchise. I don't think so. <laughs> That's really what it comes down to. I really like the Splatterhouse games. So it's very hard to go into a franchise thing knowing most of the world thinks this whole entire franchise is crap. But I like it. And I didn't want to be on the defensive the entire time. Instead, I would just like, I want to play through the games. And I want to be like, hey guys, this is cool. This isn't cool. You know, if you're going to play this, watch out for this. This is a little, little wonky. So that's hopefully what I'm going to be doing with the format. Who knows? I may forget all this in about 20 seconds anyway. As we sit with Onimusha now, I think this is a franchise that I would buy a system for. If they came out with, let's say, the next PlayStation console or the next Xbox, one of the launch exclusives was going to be Onimusha 5. I would have a pre-order on that so fast, it would be ridiculous. So for me, this franchise has been a system seller. The only thing I can say is, give it a try. You may find a new franchise that you absolutely love. All right. Thank you very much for listening. This, this series has been a blast to go through, and we will catch you next time.